Today is um, Tuesday, 27th of February. It's an occasion that we've arranged for everyone to come together to practice uh, meditation, to chant the Buddhist teachings, and to listen to the Dhamma. It's an occasion when we're training our minds in the practice of mindfulness and developing the concentration of samadhi aiming to experience the peace, the inner peace that comes through the practice and to let our minds and hearts experience some real rest from the world. In the daytime we work, we have to go out and work and do all the things that we have to do. Uh, We have to find uh, earn a living in the right way, practice right livelihood. But now it's time to work with the mind to rest, give the mind some real rest from all of that, uh, the burdens, the duties, the responsibilities of daily life and bring the mind to the Dhamma. So we focus on our meditation object as we're practicing sitting meditation together. Uh, we focus on the Dhamma as we chant and all of this helps us to uh, overcome that tendency towards restlessness, agitation of mind, different moods of negativity and irritation and all the different attachments and desires that we can get caught up into, all the different doubts and confusion we might have. Uh, this practice of meditation helps us to uh, experience some, at least some freedom from them and see them um, reduce, diminish, maybe even disappear from our minds as we meditate. When our minds are overcome by these different experiences, what we call the five hindrances that um, block the arising of peace and happiness in our minds, um, we can see when the five hindrances are present, there's no spaciousness or clarity in the mind, it's just caught into confusion and stress and suffering. Um, And every day we have that, have to deal with that. So the Lord Buddha gave us um, teachings for a way out of this kind of stress and suffering that we experience. Teachings that lead out of samsara, the endless cycle of birth, death and suffering. Um, Whatever country we are living in and however much uh, material happiness and wealth we experience, we that alone still won't free us from this, it won't free us from suffering, we'll still have this, these different experiences of stress and suffering. And if we never turn to the practice, spiritual practice, um, to develop our minds, uh, then we won't free ourselves from these experiences of stress and suffering. But the Buddhist teachings give us a path, it's what we call the Noble Path, the Noble Eightfold Path, which, um, as we know, is summarized as the practice of morality, concentration and development of wisdom and insight. And one who follows this path, wherever they live, whatever country or place, whether they're ordained as a monk or nun, or just living as a lay person, that person, if they follow the path, they'll prosper, and they'll come closer and closer to the end of suffering. So as a disciple, a student of the Buddha, we must um, exert our minds and put effort forth to overcome these hindrances, 
these different obstacles to the arising of goodness and happiness that tend to um, drag the mind down to more unwholesome states where we, we suffer and get caught into stress. We have to really work at developing this path, following it, bringing up, bringing it up in our minds to um, develop our wisdom and understanding of truth. Even though we do have to work, we have duties with our families and so on, and these are important, it's also necessary to see that the training of the heart um, to experience inner peace, inner happiness is even more important because this is what frees us from the mental defilements, the calaces, which are the cause of all our suffering and unhappiness. So we have to see this, observe and contemplate this to see that this practice, chanting, meditation, listening to the Dharma, contemplating the Dharma is all very necessary for us if we are to train our minds, if we are to deal with the uh, restlessness and agitation that we normally experience, if we are to develop states of concentration and awareness and the peace that comes from that. We really have to work with the mind to overcome these obstacles, these hindrances, um, and this will allow us to experience the happiness and the peace of a, of a calm, concentrated mind. We focus on our meditation object. That might be the breath, the in and out breath, or the word Bhutto, and until the mind becomes one-pointed and focused and still, um, and when there is this stillness and calm, this gives us a chance to see the truth about reality, about our lives, to see and understand the truth that all of us are subject to old age, sickness and death. This is part of nature. When we have that peace and clarity of mind, we can see that this body that we inhabit really is not uh, ours, it doesn't belong to us. Yeah. As long as we keep attaching to it, then we're going to keep on suffering. Even if we find this practice difficult to do, we find it um, troublesome and difficult, we still should find the time to put in the effort to practice. Whether we're in the monastery or we're at home, we must find the time to commit ourselves to the training, to the practice, so that we can raise the level of our minds to find, keep finding, moving towards this inner happiness, inner peace that comes through the practice, uh, a peace that we, uh, when we do experience it, we'll know this is something we've never not, uh, experienced before, it's something much better, more satisfying than we've ever practiced or uh, experienced before. These five hindrances are the real obstacles to the attainment of any states of goodness and true happiness in our minds. So what do we have to do about them? We have to learn how to contemplate the truth of this life, of this existence. Where do we come from as human beings? We begin in the wombs of our mothers and it's just literally a little drop of liquid. Uh, and over time, days and days passing, um, we receive more and more of the four elements, air, earth, fire and water, coming together, uh, growing together, developing together to form from that one little drop into uh, a human being, the form of a human being in our mother's wombs. 
And straight away from the beginning our consciousness attaches to this form and we start to see it as a self, our self. And you can see how over time that attachment to this, this body, these four elements that have come together to form this body, leads on to all kinds of problems, confusion, suffering in the world, in society, in our own minds, because of this attachment. But once we have faith in the Buddhist teachings and we're fortunate to meet them, then we have a way to deal with that problem, that, that suffering that we encounter. And the teachings encourage us to practice. We have to try to overcome all these different unwholesome tendencies that are fed by delusion and misunderstanding um, and cause uh, obstructions to goodness and happiness arising in our minds. We have to contemplate them, uh, see them clearly, let go of them. Um, if we do follow the mental defilements uh, that come from delusion, it always leads to suffering. If we follow greed, it leads to suffering. If we follow anger, it leads to suffering. If we follow delusion, it leads to suffering. Wherever we follow these mental defilements, they'll pull us towards suffering and they'll pull the level of our mind down. Um, and they don't just uh, end there, they don't just arise and pass away. The more we um, give in to them, follow them, these different unwholesome tendencies of mind that are fed by delusion, the more they'll grow, they'll become established in our mind, they'll keep feeding off our um, lack of wisdom, lack of understanding, and they'll become stronger and cause us more suffering. The only thing that these mental defilements are really afraid of is the path of practice that the Buddha gave us, Sīla, Samādhi and Panya. This is the path that directly leads to uh, the abandoning of mental defilements, greed, anger and delusion. Even if we find this practice difficult, especially in the beginning it can often be quite difficult and troublesome to practice. It can even seem like it's increasing our sense of suffering. But we must have patience and we must see that if we keep practicing, then little by little we'll experience more happiness inside as a result. So it's very important to be patient with the practice. In the beginning we have to have restraint because we have these attachments, these mental defilements already um, rooted into our minds. We have to begin our practice with this foundation of sila, morality. Morality means a practice of restraint and carefulness with our speech and our actions. We have the five precepts which are teaching us to be very careful, very mindful what we say, what we do. The eight precepts which increase that sense of carefulness and restraint and the 227 precepts of our monk only increases that sense of care and restraint. They stop the kalesas, the unwholesome mental defilements, from spilling out and displaying themselves in our speech and actions when we follow precepts. So they stop us from creating the most coarse kinds of suffering. Once we have developed and established this restraint in our hearts and we're being very careful how we act, how we speak, um, it helps us to stop creating suffering in our daily lives and immediately we'll experience some happiness as a result of that. And that happiness is experienced as a radiance of mind, a sense of spaciousness, freedom from remorse, freedom from these unwholesome tendencies. 
but we must be careful. And especially as, even though we might have established ourselves in Sila, there's still some dangers on the path. Especially nowadays, there are many techniques, many teachers around, and it's very easy to become confused and unclear about exactly what we should be doing in the path how to build on our sila and develop meditation. Uh, so we must be careful not to just follow our doubts and our uncertainty and let this pull us around. We, and we must also be careful not to be too impatient to see results from the practice. When we've heard about the attainments and the results of the practice, this can make us very impatient. But we have to see that the practice is like planting a tree. If we just plant a tree and just want to keep looking at it, wondering when is it going to grow up, when is it going to be big, um, then of course we'll be very unpeaceful, not very happy. Um, we have to realise that these things take time and they have to grow and develop in their own way. So keep practising, keep putting in the wholesome effort uh, and don't be uh, disheartened or um, give up the practice if sometimes you're not peaceful. You're practicing, you find, oh, you're not peaceful. The mind isn't 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 very concentrated or mindful. Um, don't let that lead to to disheartenment, and don't don't concentrate on that too much. Otherwise, it will lead you to, to a sense of, oh, why do I practice? I might as well just give up. I'm not getting anywhere. Lumpo Chao always emphasised that the main thing is just not to stop, not to give up. Keep going, keep practising, keep developing mindfulness uh, in every posture, at every moment. Um, this will help you to restrain these unwholesome kilesas, these unwholesome tendencies of mind um, that cause us to suffering. Um, the practice of mindfulness is very much like building a dam. Once you build a dam, then you can prevent your water from flowing all over the place and you can channel it to do good. So we have to practice mindfulness and particularly the best way to develop mindfulness is through the practice of meditation. Find some time every day to practice meditation. You might practice anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing. And practice at least once a day, even twice if you can. You'll find in these times when you're committing yourself, sincerely practicing meditation, then your mindfulness will improve little by little. And that will send results out through the rest of your day. You'll become more aware of what you're saying, what you're do doing through your day. And you'll be able to observe your mind better from moment to moment in your family life, your work life. You'll be able to ask yourself, are these thoughts I'm thinking, are they wholesome? Are they unwholesome? You'll be able to reflect like this and really see how the unwholesome thoughts cause you suffering. And more importantly, you'll be able to see that all the different thoughts, moods, mental states we experience are anicca, dukkha, anatta. They're impermanent, unsatisfactory and ultimately not our true self. If we keep watching like this, keep observing and reflecting with mindfulness, we'll see this truth more and more clearly, clearly in the mind. And this will lead to a sense of peace and detachment from those mindsets which normally cause us suffering. This peace comes because we know our own minds, we're sure of the truths that the Buddha taught us, and we become more experienced. And from that experience, our minds will gradually be, the level of them will be raised as a result of the practice, be rising above the normal kinds of stressful thinking that we can experience. 
little by little the factors of samadhi that we've heard about will start to arise. There'll be uh, vitaka, that initial application to our meditation object, vichara, um, sustained application on the object, uh, pity, some joy and interest in the object, sukha, there'll be happiness, contentedness, and ekakata, one-pointedness. Gradually, little by little, these different factors of samadhi will arise in the mind and come together to give us increasing sense of inner peace, contentment and happiness from the practice of meditation. And these states of happiness, contentment will become deeper and last longer and become more profound and more refined as we continue the practice. This is the happiness that comes from samadhi, concentration. Uh, it's even deeper and more profound than the happiness of sila, morality. And both of these together, the happiness of sila, happiness of samadhi, help us to overcome these five hindrances that, that obstruct the mind and cause confusion in the mind. But again, we have to be alert here, have to be careful. Um, the happiness that comes from meditation, we can still attach to this. We can feel we've attained something and form a self around that happiness, attached to it as a self, and then again this can become a delusion. So the Buddha always encourages us to keep contemplating here. Don't just rest easy and attach to this happiness of samadhi, but use it as a basis to continue your contemplation and observing of truth. You can see that if you turn back to contemplate this body when you're peaceful, you can see this body is subject to old age, sickness and death. You have to really ask yourself this question, do you want this? Do you want old age, sickness and death? Do you want more old age, sickness and death? As long as we have um, delusion and misunderstanding, we'll keep attaching to this world. As long as we don't contemplate these truths, we'll just keep attaching to the world keep getting caught into becoming different moods and mental states and these, these feed ultimately more and more birth. So we'll still be stuck into the round of birth and death as long as we never contemplate these things. Whatever we attach to in this world is something that must change. It's unsatisfactory because of that. If something is always changing in its form, it can never last with us. And it's unsatisfactory, isn't it? It can't bring us lasting satisfaction, lasting happiness. And you have to say, that which changes, can you say, it's you or yours? Can you really own something that is changing and, and disappearing from you? No, we can't. We can't hold on to anything. We can't hold on to any of it. So the more peace and happiness we develop from our meditation, the more this supports the contemplation of truth, and the more we'll see these things that the Buddha has been talking about. We'll see that this body and mind are all anicca, dukkha and anatta and we'll gradually be able to uproot these different mental defilements of greed, anger and delusion that come out of the delusion and move towards a place of truth where we can experience happiness. So in conclusion, practicing the Dhamma we have to rely particularly on patience and endurance because we're always having to go against the grain, go against the tendencies, the habits of mind that have been um, brought up and conditioned by the calculus of the mental defilements. Um, the more we can go against the grain of the mental defilements, the more this will pull us to the flow of the Dhamma, where 
when the mind comes across to the flow of Dhamma, then it will see the truth of things. It will see the anicca, the dukkha, the anatta of all these different conditioned things, the material world, the mental world. And we'll be able to see how when we do get lost in things and attached to the world, attached to this body, attached to our different thoughts and mental proliferation, this just creates for us more dukkha, more suffering. But when we practice, we can see how little by little we're starting to detach from this and change that tendency. Then we'll know the value of the practice, we'll understand, um, and this will give us more patience, more endurance to carry on, to um, not just to give in to every um, mood or impulse that is coming from the kilesas. We'll see the value to keep applying sati, mindfulness, um, to the mind every day, every moment. Um, we'll see that if we keep applying mindfulness, then those states of confusion and uncertainty will start to disappear. If we keep applying mindfulness to the body, then we'll keep, we'll become more and more mindful of every posture and get to know this body. Um, if we keep applying mindfulness, we'll be cutting off all the mental proliferation about the past, the anxiety, the worry, the guilt about the past. We'll be cutting off the mental proliferation about the future, or the worrying and the planning about the future, and learn how to skillfully keep our mind in the present moment, and let go of all the different mental states that bother us. And, and by doing this, we gradually will learn how to overcome the five hindrances. Um, just like somebody who's um, standing next to a swamp, if the swamp is very muddy swamp, you won't be able to see the bottom of the swamp or the plants and the animals that are contained in that swamp, in the water. But for one who practices mindfulness and practices the path, it's like they're clearing up the, the murky waters of that swamp. And the, the mind, when the mind becomes still and clear through the practice of mindfulness, the confusion, the doubts and worries all disappear, and then you can see everything in it, just like everything in the in the swamp starts to become exposed. So at this point, when the mind becomes clear, that we can really see the the truths of things, we can see the inner nature of this body, not just the external form that we normally attach to a human body, but we see inside what it's truly like, and we see its nature, that it's something that is a nature dukkha anatta. We see the mind and the mental states we experience as anicca, dukkha, anatta. And by seeing this, little by little, we're seeing nibbana, which is the beginning of seeing, realizing the end of suffering and the end of attachment. And we can see how, by letting go of our attachments, by practicing mindfulness, that this will be the, la- the way that leads to the ultimate realization of nibbana, complete end of suffering and true happiness we'll see more and more the value of the path, we'll know it's really worth following something that will really take us to happiness. And if we keep practicing according to the true path that the Buddha gave, we can see that our understanding will grow and that our mindfulness, our wisdom and insight will grow and eventually we'll be able to let go of all our mental defilements and so we'll gain more confidence like this. So keep practicing these basic, simple practices that Lumpur Chao gave us, practicing moderation in the things you eat and use, practicing developing mindfulness at all times, and really dedicate yourself to bringing up effort in the practice, because this is the, the practice that can help us to find true peace, true happiness, 
He will help us to get beyond all of our doubts and uncertainties and bring us to the ultimate peace and happiness. Did you understand what he was saying? Does it make sense to you? He says today he was testing Ajahn Kalyana's translation skills, (laughs) talking for a long time and making you have to write and keep up with it. Does anybody have any questions or anything, any any doubts? And the question was, um, can females reach enlightenment just um, the same as males? we know in the time of the Buddha that there were bhikkhunis who became enlightened, but since then have there been any ladies who become enlightened? And Ajahn answered that yes, of course, um, enlightenment is a state that is beyond being male or female. That's the whole point of it is it's a liberating state that takes you beyond uh, the conventional reality of the world. Um, and then qualities of the path that one has to develop, anyone can develop them, man or woman, um, even a, in the time of the Buddha, even a seven-year-old child who's got a fully developed body and brain intelligence, they can be, because of their accumulated baramina, can actually realize the Dhamma, realize the Bhana at the age of seven. Um, we have to see that as we develop Sila, Samadhi and Panya, you're taking your mind to a place of clarity where you see the true nature, the true essence of all things um, and, and that state where there's full samadhi and wisdom and insight and then you've gone beyond um, the state of being a man, being a woman it's just pure wisdom, pure understanding the kilesis themselves are also beyond man and woman uh, any man, any woman can have kilesis can have anger, can have greed so we have to see how the, the practice takes us deeper beyond this normal, the normal conventional reality that we attach to. And the practice takes us beyond being a, a lay person or a monk or a nun. Yes. Uh, in the end, when the mind is peaceful, um, that's dropped as well. So we have to remember these things, these forms on the outside, although they're important. We actually, in the practice, we go well beyond them and um, yes, of course, uh, if, a, if a lady um, practices and in the proper way, the pro- correct path, and develops samadhi, develops insights, she can let go of her attachments just the same as anyone else. We have to remember with enlightenment, it's, it's generally a gradual process of practice and it depends on our karma and our karmic accumulations. If we still have various duties we have to perform in the world, we have to help our family, we have to work, then uh, it's going to take a bit of time and effort, um, whether we're man or woman, we have to accept that the more we practice, the, the quicker and the, the further we'll go in the practice, but we have to accept where we are in our karmic situation and our personal spiritual spiritual development, we have to accept that. The question was that... Um, Buddhist teachings seem very wide, connected to covering many areas, many issues. Can they be summarized for uh, us to easy, easily remember them by, you know, sort of simple summary? So Tanajan quoted the famous um, 
allowing the mind to rest and experience peace of a peaceful, concentrated state. But those defilements are still um, deep down; they're still rooted into the mind. And this is what we call Lokya Samadhi. It's still of a worldly nature in that it's still um, subject to an Ichidukarata. It still can degenerate. So if the conditions are right, particularly if um, different forms of greed, anger, delusion come up in the mind enough, then that Samadhi can degenerate, disappear and can be gone. And that's why we call it worldly on a worldly or mundane level, because it's still uncertain and it can be shaken. But it's necessary, first of all, in our practice, we have to develop our concentration like that, and that's why we experience moments, times when there's concentration, then it seems to disappear again, because it's still of a worldly nature. But as we practice and we develop this concentration, this worldly level of concentration, then we use it as a foundation for the development of insight the more calm and concentrated states we experience, we use that to support our investigation and contemplation of truth, of to see anicca, dukkha, anatta in all of the material world, the mental world, to see all that very clearly. And as we do that, the more we experience states of samadhi and then turn to investigate the Dharma to develop deep insight, Little by little, that is bringing the mind to a state of calm and concentration that is unshakable, and what we call lokapara samadhi. It's unshakable and won't degenerate and won't be overcome by any form of defilement, greed, anger, or delusion, because there's a both samadhi and wisdom together in the mind to the point where it actually purifies one's whole view and way of looking at things, and one the mind won't attached to or, or get lost in places anymore because it's seen through them, see that, seen the, uh, their nature, the nature of Dukkha so it detaches from them. Um, and this is the difference. That's, but that's something that's obviously an attainment, it's a result of the practice and we work up to that point in a gradual way and so you do use the, the more worldly, mundane type of samadhi, you have to use that until the point where one's panya, one's wisdom and insight is established in the mind and then one's samadhi will be changed into a kuta. Samadhi, I have another question there. You know, they daily practice the concentration of the mind state, the kalesa, rather than the concentration of the body. Is it your Yes, it's all right to practice like this. This is... Um, what we call jitanupasana, where we're focusing on the mind and the state of mind and the different mental states arriving in the mind through our day. Uh, it's quite alright to develop mindfulness in this way, get to know the mind and observe whether the mind is in a wholesome, skillful state or in an unwholesome state. And obviously the skillful states we try to maintain and develop, the unwholesome ones, we let go of them. Um, but because this is a valid practice of mindfulness and it's part of the four foundations of mindfulness you find later on as it becomes more established and one progresses in this practice of watching the mind like this then one can turn to focus on feelings or focus on the body and the different the four foundations of mindfulness will merge together one's mindfulness will be, be aware of all those different aspects of our experience um, so it's a valid way to practice, we keep doing it and the more skilled we'll get and the more uh, we'll understand the past. I have another question that I always wanted to ask but I, I have to do so. 
it's about you know meditating in the channel ground and uh, being in the forest. So we have to do it. And it's important to understand with these sort of practices that they're practicing on what you might call an intense level or in a very committed way. So generally it's uh, the practice that uh, would be done by ordained people who would go off. Um, people who have already given up a lot and are practicing um, meditation every day in quite already a very committed way. Um, they might go off into those situations, go and stay, put up their umbrella and camp alone in a cremation ground. And of course the reason we call it intense practice is because in a situation like that it tends to bring up a lot of intense emotions uh, and the most obvious one is fear. And one has to really deal with it in a very direct way. Um, say if one's alone at night in a cremation ground, one has a lot of fear come up. It's, it's, a, it's hard work and if one isn't already established in the practice and one doesn't have good mindfulness and hasn't been trained well with a good teacher then it's even possible one could go a bit off at that point. One, there's the intensity of the situation, there's the extreme emotions and the fear that might be coming up um, could put, really put one off, one could become as I said, whippalasa, one could lose one's um, marbles or just lose one's sense of reality and go a bit, become mentally unstable. So it's not something one should do lightly. One would have to go and be very, be prepared for it. Um, the way monks practice when they're in that situation is to, um, they probably, if they're finding they have a lot of mental proliferation, a lot of fear coming up, just endless thoughts of fear and uh, worry and anxiety, then they tend to use some, a meditation object like Butho and they just recite Butho over and over again and take that as their refuge. They see when with Butho the fear subsides, the mind becomes calm. When they lose Butho, then the mind goes crazy and starts thinking all kinds of things. So the first thing they can see is that now they have to battle with our own minds, but then at that same time they can also see how the fear is something that we just generate through our own unskillful thinking, through our own deeply rooted attachments and uh, misunderstandings of truth. And one, when one starts to battle like that, if one does succeed in calming the mind, focusing on Buddha and letting go of that proliferation, then of course one um, learns a lot from that experience and one can see how ultimately the things that we're afraid of, the thought of ghosts, death, the unknown, the dark, all this, the real problem is our own mind, it's what it's thinking and creating out of that situation. And if you've managed to establish mindfulness and overcome that, then you learn a lot, you get a lot of insight, a lot of confidence in your practice. And um, you know, that's why they do it. But one has to see that's quite a difficult, intense practice, and only someone who's prepared and ready for it should do it. So um, you, know, you, you don't have to really worry or concern yourself too much about that kind of practice. Just carry on doing what you've described to him just now. Keep practicing, being mindful of your mind states in your daily life whether they're unwholesome, wholesome, just keep doing that and developing a consistency of mindfulness and already that's something very good and just keep doing that over and over again uh, for the moment. The question was, Kunuk uh, would like a teaching for her mother. She's going back to Thailand next month. Uttanajan's teaching was um, to remember as we get older, especially if we're into our 70s, that now is the time to really turn our attention to the practice of the Dhamma. 
Um, we have to remember when we come into the world as a baby, we come alone. And when we leave the world, when we die, we die alone, we leave alone. Um, so although um, an older person has brought up family and children in, 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 in their lives and done many good things for other people, accomplished a lot, done a lot, and uh, they have to remember at the end these tr- simple truths you can't take everyone with you. So now is the time to set aside all those duties. Old, the children are old enough um, to look after themselves, take care of their business. So it's time to set aside the worries, the concerns that maybe had in former years. Now it's, it's quite appropriate to set them aside, not to worry about the family so much, but to concern ourselves more with our own practice. Uh, developing our mindfulness. We have faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha already. We should be practicing mindfulness, chanting, dhana, keeping the precepts, meditating, listening to the Dhamma. These are the things we should be spending our time doing now to prepare ourselves, to bring our, raise the level of our mind up, bring our mind up to a level of a very wholesome state where we're experiencing a lot of inner happiness and joy. Um, we can of course reflect back and recollect some of the good we've done in our lives, bringing up the families, doing different good things, helping um, support monasteries, charity work and so on in our lives. Uh, when we recollect this, this will help to bring our mind to a state of happiness and a sense of being at ease with ourselves. And we have to learn how to keep doing this. Because of course there's a danger if, if we don't practice, we just let our minds wander then they will become worried, worried about the kids, worried about the future, what's going to happen, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. And that worry, the anxiety will of course bring the mind's level down to a more um, stressful state, unwholesome, negative state. And you wouldn't want to die with that kind of suffering. Nobody would want that. So it's important to, to see now at the end of our lives it is a bit uncertain, we don't know how long we'll be here, so really put effort into the practice. Try and practice regularly, practice um, meditation, chanting regularly, do dana regularly, and set aside all other duties, let the, let the, the children and the rest of the family deal with them, the other duties. You don't have to worry about anything now other than the practice and keeping your mind in a fresh and happy state. And to remember that that is actually something very beneficial for everyone else. If we're worried about the family, what we, what can we do for them now? We don't have much strength, don't have much ability. But what you can do is practice the Dhamma, and that's giving something to the family by being a good example. Um, an older person who's practicing the Dhamma can be a blessing to a family. They can be a blessing in what they say, what they do. When the family members come to you, you don't uh, just complain and, and talk about the bad things. Try and talk about the Dhamma, talk about things that will raise up the level of the, the, the younger ones. So you have to think about your speech and try and make your speech, speech a blessing and make it auspicious. Uh, encourage people to, uh, to do, do good and practice the Dhamma. Um, and so that our lives can still be a blessing, right? At the end of our life, we can actually be more of a blessing maybe than ever before. And uh, so we not only help ourselves by practicing the Dharma, we can help all our other family members as well. And just to remember that, keep remembering that the important thing is to keep the mind peaceful and happy, recollect the Dharma uh, right through to the end of our life.